Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Steve von Hathaway here as a guest. Steve is currently a crisis and occupational psychologist, executive mentor, writer, and public speaker, offering to the point psychostrategic vision and solutions in time of big transitions. I think it's especially useful now. And worked wholeheartedly for more than 22 years in medical and psychiatric environments as a psychotherapist, as a chief, and as an HR advisor and life and relationship coach. It's his mission to reduce fear, anger, and stress in this world and to help people reconnect with their inner beauty, power, trust, resilience, and each other. Welcome on the podcast, Steve. I know you have a unique view about crises and crises in evolution, crises in the social world and your personal life. What do you think is the meaning of a crisis? First of all, thank you, Philip, for this uh, invitation. It's uh, an honor for me to... uh, to meet because we don't know one another, but really enthusiastic to uh, yeah. have a talk and an inter- interesting talk about the situation we're in. And let me start with the fact that we're uh, in the middle of big times of change, big crisis, uh, big chaos, big also big opportunities. So let me first install that uh, assumption because we are all in the midst of panic, in the midst of fear, in the midst of tension, in the midst of uh, battling uh, with one another. These are big times that we're in, and uh, times of stress, and times of chaos, and times of big crises occur, there is also a lot of energy involved. And that's where my uh, knowledge and my wisdom, so to speak, uh, you uh, kind of introduced me very well. Thank you for that. But uh, Do you know why this current crisis is really a crisis? Because when I take a look at, for instance, when we talk about COVID, when you look at the overall mortality rate, we're not talking about numbers about, you know, polio or Ebola or whatever. But despite that, despite we could talk about everything that's going on with the communication, it hits society so hard. Is there some aspects in people, their life nowadays that makes the people so prone to having this crisis burst open? Because I would imagine sometimes like 60 years ago, people were a bit more resilient, I feel. And when this would have happened, they would kind of see it a bit as a part of life and they would cope with it better. How how do you look at it? Well, first of all, a crisis is always an opportunity, but you can uh, discuss if this is a crisis. Well, if we look at uh, what is coming to us through media, through what we hear, through through what we are, confronted with of course we can deny that there is situation we have to deal with mm-hmm. the situation you have uh, all the reactions socially worldly so there is definitely a big chaos going on and but then you can start thinking what is the, the true nature of the crisis is it a mm-hmm. collective one is it a health crisis is it an economical crisis is it a, an overall crisis and what can we do as an individual what can we do as a family what can we do as a culture as a nation so these are questions that are also important because uh, you have a situation a and then you have a solution or a pathway towards a better and so there's definitely a crisis and uh, when you talk about resilience 
I think it personally is a crisis, maybe because in the past people could fall back on their relationships, on their family, on their church, on their nationality. All those things are now a bit on a shaky foundation. You know, there's no like stable identity anymore. So that makes people a bit more irresilient because they can't flee anymore to some kind of stable institution. That's true. But our resilience prior to the crisis was already not that big anymore. I mean, when you, when you compare the period we're living in now compared to, uh, let's say, the 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. when uh, the whole pharmaceutical industry rose. And so we are kind of, um, we end up in a situation now where we are confronted. And that's also my vision on crisis psychology. We are confronted with what, what was prior to what is happening. And so the overall mental, emotional, uh, physical condition of humans have decreased throughout the years. So we're now confronted with the lack of resilience, not because we're like smashed uh, through this crisis, but because we are uh, reminded of our lack of resilience that we forgot to build up because we are living in times where uh, when there is a problem, we go to the doctor, we get a a Valium, an antidepressant, uh, and that's it. You take care of the rest and, uh, you know, that's it. And come back a a little bit later. So we are trained to believe that um, all the problems we we face, that we have to fix it very quickly because time is running, stress is always there, the agendas are always there. We have no time for one another. We have no time for the depth of relationships. We have no time for nothing. And this crisis is, in my opinion, also reminding us of our fragility, of our vulnerability. That was also there before Corona came. It was always there and it will always be there. And that's why I also see it as an enormous opportunity to confront ourselves with our pre-existing vulnerability in these times and that there are other ways, other pathways to establish safety in our life. I kind of see us being so comfortable, almost like having these padded walls and it's so nice and it covers like the darker aspects in life that you're going to die one day, you know, or life is so fast that you never step outside of it and then really focus on the deeper questions. So according to me, sometimes these crises, they they make, make you ask these fundamental questions, but we've been living in such a comfortable time or life is going so fast that you never get confronted with what is behind those padded walls, what is behind the comfort, what is the underlying existential values that people have or aspects of life that we're hiding in the corner. And I think one thing of it is dealing with death, being able to cope with that as an essential thing in life because we keep on running to avoid that and it goes fast. So we never ask that question about what do I want to live for? What do I want to tell at the end of my life? How will I cope with death? Yeah. yeah, that's correct. That's correct. We are born, almost born with the idea that we can run away from the only certainty there is and that we are, and we, we become trained to avoid our own mortality and the mortality of others until we are confronted with, with it through a loss, a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, but also a real loss of a beloved one. And then we have this moment of, a little moment of awakening, I call it, that we are confronted with our uh, inner nature, with our uh, mortality, with uh, the, the fragility of life. And then there is a kind of awareness that connects. You know, when people are mourning together uh, because of the loss, then there's like another atmosphere arising uh, 
in which they really uh, find one another more than when the last period is over, we kind of continue with or proceed with the life that we led before. Uh, and that this is in a, in a big denial, a great denial of, our, uh, of the only certainty there is. We so-called live in the illusion of certainty while there is no certainty except the certainty of, of the fact that we are existing and that we're living and that at some point we will not be living anymore. Well, it reminds me a bit of a research that I don't know who it was, a nurse who was interviewing people who were about to die and she Money asked her, like, yeah, how, yeah, exactly. Number one was, I should have lived a life on my terms, not what was expected by other people. So I know now these, these old people say like, yeah, if I die, I die, but at least I will have lived on my terms. I will have chosen how to live my life. But now it seems that a lot of people are like, no, 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 no. I let the government decide what they want to do, you know, sacrifice freedom. But when I look at number one in that research, Brownie Ware, yeah. Number one is I, I, I want to live a life according to my terms instead of what other people told me, not to what if, if only, et cetera, I'm being restricted. So that is actually the number one thing. For those people who are about to die who said, like, that's the number one thing besides social relationships and health, et cetera, and should have worked less, that was the number one thing that they regretted. Yeah, exactly. I've read the book. I also mentioned these five things that the dying are regretting. And as a, a victim counselor, I worked for almost 10 years with people who are directly confronted with uh, the threat of, of not being there anymore because of uh, robbery or because they were in a big accident or because they were confronted with, um, with death in, uh, you know, in, uh, in general. And because of this experience that I had, and uh, I'm really thankful that I had the experience uh, with all uh, these people, uh, it was one of the most beautiful jobs I've ever done because you're constantly in a kind of an atmosphere where you feel so alive in the midst of that. There is, I cannot explain that in, in, in many words, but for me, that was one of the most beautiful experiences that, that when people are mourning or they're in fear or they're, they, you know, they, they've lost almost everything, you feel such a deep connection and you feel such a deep vibe as if. This is really where, where it's all about. This is like the essence of life. It's, it's like on the edge. It's, it's on the edge. And that's why I'm always very enthusiastic because when people ask me, how, how can you still cope after all these years with all this trouble uh, people are going through? I said, well, no. I always see uh, like this uh, beautiful quote of Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Well, that's a very beautiful quote and we all know it and it's true. Because when, when, when a shell starts to break, there's a, a new beginning. And it's that new beginning that thrives us. And this is why I'm uh, saying, like you're also saying, and a lot of people who are uh, getting more and more awake acknowledge that, that uh, crises are breakthrough. Even though we can discuss about the nature of the crisis we're in, and is mm -hmm. it uh, imposed, produced, is it, uh, you know, is it natural? Um, you know, you can uh, ask yourself a lot of questions and, and we have our thoughts about it. But in the end, we're going through a crisis eh? because we're confronted with the fact that our um, freedom is limited and that we have to reinvent uh, our choices, small choices, big choices. And yeah, for a lot of people, this is um, being confronted with change. And we don't like to change because change is also a reminder of the fact that we're all dying.
it's linked to one another. This it's is always a strange thing different. because I, I create my army of rebels with a cause, change leaders and thought leaders, you know, who want to help people see differently or take responsibility. This is a strange thing. Most people don't want to take responsibility. Most people want to be told what to do. Most people don't ask deeper questions. You can blame it on them or the education system where they were raised that way. For me, that was the most liberating thing to realize. That I could change my life, take responsibility. It was dependent on me, not on others. Like that was, whoa, fantastic. Okay, I have the the burden of responsibility that it's me, but the liberation of responsibility, it's me. But most people are like, no, 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 no. They avoid taking responsibility and put that on somebody else, a partner, the state, et cetera, which was always weird to me because I see immense power in realizing that responsibility. Yeah, that's true. And that's the, the first thing psychologists, psychotherapists uh, work uh, on, uh, the fact that you there is an external locus of control, that like when you're explaining that everything outside um, governs my world, governs my reality, decides for me, and uh, there's a kind of conditioning in it. People really start to like it at some point, while liking is maybe not the right word, but they're used to get used to it. And in order to change your situation, in order to change your behavior, you have to change the locus of control from external to internal locus of control. And then you will discover like you experience and like I experience and a lot of people also experience. And that's why they grow through change. They, go, they, they grow through uh, a new uh, me, a new they, because they change their locus of control. They acknowledge that there is big power inside of them and that this is this could be a really new thing that they discover but it's uh, it's through this discovery that uh, you can make fundamental changes in your life but that could take one day but also 10 years or, or 100 years or maybe never this is something that i see there's a war on personal responsibility in general take these pills it's not your responsibility you're sick you know like Okay, entrepreneurs, like we will tell you what to do. Freedom, we will tell you what to do. People, we will tell them what to do. They can't decide for themselves. They don't have common sense. I really see a war on personal responsibility. While often that is the thing that makes you feel the most alive. With respect for others, of course, without damaging others, but still being in charge of your life, being empowered, that demands personal responsibility. And I see in a lot of aspects that there's a war on people being able to make their own choices. Yeah, but that's the core problem you're addressing, uh, namely that we're all living locked inside. We are all living trapped, even prior to the corona situation. Like I mentioned, uh, we were just running the agendas of others. We think we are free. We think we were free, but we weren't. If, we, if we're honest and we ask ourselves the question, how really free did I feel myself eh, before corona came? So a lot of people still are running other people's agendas because you have just an idea of freedom, but in the end, how f- really free are you? And that's the whole thing, you know? And, um, and that's what you're also referring to, that uh, it's sometimes the idea that, uh, you're not, that you're not free and also uh, from the side of those who are like rebellious towards everything that is happening, you also have to stay a bit, you know, calm in the midst of this, this, these intense emotions of anger and fear because you're never free in the midst of anger and, and, and fear. And that's because there's a part in our brain, and that's what I want to refer to, it's called the reptilian brain or the lizard brain, 
there are different theories about it, but I really like the idea of the lizard because the lizard is sitting on the top of our spine and it's controlling our basic needs uh, for food, water, and uh, safety. And when we're in times of stress and big changes, this little lizard is always in control, always in control. And it wants, it wants safety, you know? And, and that's, the, you know, you were referring to all the, the people or organizations or marketeers, politicians, they know, they have the, they have the knowledge to use that kind of... And if you, if you look at the triune brain, the other is the mammalian brain, and then the other one is the you know, uh, prefrontal cortex. So what is the onogenital sense, right? The mammalian brain is more like empathy, communication, emotions, more social. But what we notice yeah. with lockdown, that is also like keep you trapped in that reptilian brain state because you can't communicate that well or you can't connect with people that well and what does the prefrontal cortex do impulse control like you know choosing your response so that's also limited so a lot of people stay in this triggered animal based state hyper vigilant cortisol pumping fight or flight amygdala kind of state you know and and so when you're in in, uh, when you're stuck in this kind of reptilian reflex you're not busy with thinking about, you know, what's the meaning of life and can we grow or transform and so on. So because these are more activities from the higher location of the brain. And because when we're constantly busy with defending and, and fighting and, and, and falling and fleeing, we don't have enough energy, literally enough energy to be busy with uh, other things in our life because we, we're in the midst of this struggle. Every food we take, 25% of the food we take goes to the brain. Only 25%, but it's 25%. So when uh, this part, this lizard part of the brain is constantly activated and uh, busy, then we have no time to consider higher truths. This really makes us very vulnerable to those with, let's say, possible uh, negative agendas or bigger agendas without thinking it's big rat park experiment you know social experiment i feel that almost like uh, you know pavlovian or bf skinner kind of you know on the very base level let's do this this will make them happy this will help them create an enemy this will create fear. <laughs> just playing with these levers to have these base emotions and yeah. then we think we're so evolved but when these emotions are triggered we go back to that animal state and it's almost like we're in a rat park or a you know mouse experiment yeah. where the humans are the mouses you know yeah and the solution is outside. It's, it's what you refer to. The solution is outside. We have your we have a solution for your fear. We have the solution for your anger. We have the solution for your desires. We have the solution. So that's why there is, is a, a tension created between outward and inward. And that's why I think it's important that people know that in, in order for you to calm down, in order for you to uh, relax more and to 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 own your own life more, you have to change your locus of control. And you have to start uh, thinking in that way. And that's why it's very important to use more imagination than knowledge. And I'm referring to this because I really like this quote, but this is one of the most important uh, quotes here, he has, in my opinion, has ever said. Namely, imagination is much more important than knowledge. Knowledge is always related to the old. It's not knowledge that will bring us further. It's imagination. And imagination is not tangible. 
everybody knows that imagine, imagination exists. I, we don't have to discuss. There are no pros and, and, and there are no, let's say, proponents and opponents about this theory. Everybody knows that there is imagination. Without imagination, we could not create, we could not design things, we would not wear clothes, we would not have computers, and so on. And imagination refers to the fact that, the, that there is an invisible force in us that goes prior to what is there. Well, we're very good at negative imagination, which is worrying. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of imagination, you know, being afraid what we can lose, that worrying, that's very good. But that Im Im imagining what we can gain or what could be opportunities, possibilities, yeah. that is, again, maybe the higher brain, et cetera, to imagine that. We're not really good at it. We're like, worst case scenarios, no problem at all. This is also what I see in the news. And this, this really boggles my mind. When you take a look at how many items in the news are positive, we're talking maybe of one out of 10. But people purposely cling to this screen, constantly being fed crises, worst case scenarios, disasters, and they keep on clinging to that screen while it's a narrow window into the world. But still, people get their news, get their view, get their perspective from something which gives them immense stress or doesn't give them a lot of hope about humanity. This is the strange thing that people still cling to something which doesn't contribute a lot to their life. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's sad, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I really, that's why also I'm sometimes really furious when I see how people are really not, not thinking for themselves, because this is really uh, dangerous for, not only for themselves, but also for their environment, for their kids, for uh, the whole world. And that's why it's important also this, these kind of podcasts to be there more often, because people need to know that there is more power than uh, you're told. Listen, I'm going to be honest about my, my podcast. I'm being like more in my power. I think our education system is complete bullshit. It's, it's completely backwards how it still is from the 19th century in Prussia because we don't teach people fundamental skills. I'm talking about how to communicate, how to have healthy relationships, what makes you happy, how to save money, how to cope with depression, how to find your talents. We have all this research. From, from 100 years, 150 years, and we're still teaching most people to just sit down, don't touch that, stay quiet, don't ask questions. And then these fundamental things people have to deal with in their 20s and 30s. It's the same thing that I changed my view about psychology and psych psychiatry. It's like a very narrow thing that we see, which is condoned by the government, but there's a lot of wisdom, fundamental life skills that we're not teaching to children. And I'm wondering why, because there's a lot of baggage that I have and that I had to ch shed from our education system that I don't think it's adapted to like, the world right now and all the great things we could teach people. Yeah, true. There is a, it makes me think about the fact that uh, they all, we all know that there is enough food for everybody on this mm -hmm. planet. There's enough money for everybody on this planet. And there's also more than plenty of energy on this planet and beyond our planet. There are also nice movies about this. I think about the, the Thrive movies. And so I really uh, suggest to see these movies, but there is enough, there is more than enough really for everybody. Also what, what knowledge, wisdom uh, about all these topics you were uh, mentioning, there is more than enough, but who's controlling it? And who's, con who's controlling the food? Who's controlling the media? Who's controlling the wisdom? Who's controlling uh, us? Uh, and we need to we need to start thinking more about uh, who's in control, and, but we don't because we, we have so much access to this. I mean, we look at Edward Bernays, the nephew of Freud. 
you know, who was a grandfather of propaganda and also about, you know, he called it like public relationships, but he, he started focus groups. Why? Because people don't buy because of logic, they buy of emotional reasons. So he was asking in focus group, what, what need does this fulfill to make you consume, to have these fundamental primal drives? So we see a lot of consumerism, a lot of polarization for politics and attention, but we could use these tools to really bring people together, to connect them, to bring them wisdom. But I see most of the innate wisdom being used to help people consume or polarize or go from crisis to crisis, while we actually could use it to, you know, bring people together and use it to our benefit. We also have a lot of, I mean, I'm really curious about your relationship with psychology and psychiatry right now, how you look at it from having so much experience in it. But I know there's a lot of like gestalt bioenergetics, like a lot lot of those psychology on the fringes, right? There's a narrow perspective of a clinical psychologist. That's the only way how you can also get government support. Even spiritual practice, there's so much wisdom outside of it. Even we could talk about psychedelics. It's all on the fringe and not allowed by the system. But I see people really benefiting from those kind of things or expressing anger, et cetera. But it still stays on the fringe, like almost it's forbidden knowledge. Uh, to work with that material where there's so much wisdom in it. So how how has your relationship with psychology and psychiatry changed the last 20 years? When um, people say, well, you're a psychologist, I always say, no, I studied psychology. I have never felt myself, experienced myself as a psychologist, even though I studied clinical and occupational psychology. I was raised in a more metaphysical uh, realm. Uh, my parents were more... Oh, esoteric, uh, spiritual-minded, and I was more like with the feet in the ground, and I wanted to make a change in the world, and I thought, okay, psychology or criminology was also interest of mine, will be a very interesting field to study, and I, which I did. So I worked in psychiatry 12 years, I also worked in, in the hospitals, and uh, first line, as a, you know, how you mentioned it in, in the beginning, uh, in many roles, but I never stopped expanding my, my knowledge. So, because uh, of course there are so many ways, so many techniques, uh, classical, non-classical, conventional, non-conventional. For Even me, Jung, Jung stays on the fringes, like, you know, like, yeah, that's for people who like a bit of mythology, you know, and that's fine to read, but yeah, it's not but, that but useful. My biggest fight was always the fight against the fact that uh, they're reducing the power of clients, patients, because of their paradigm, the paradigm mm. of you're, you're uh, sick and it's not your fault and we will help you. Like this scheme, this is really also traumatic uh, in, on the long run eh? because you think people are um, helped uh, through medicament or through a certain kind of therapy, but it's always reduced. And so I, yeah, I, I really follow your ideas on this because for me, there's so much more to know and but people always try to uh, tend, tend to reduce somebody or something to uh, yeah, a narrow-minded uh, way of thinking about it. It's not open. It's not open. And this is also because we're trained mostly, how to say it, we're trained to just follow our analytical thinking and our minds and less heart. So for me, it's very important that we invite more heart into our knowledge, invite more imagination into our knowledge, that we invite more the unknown into what we think is real. 
But the thing is, the, the threshold is the, that there is, it's not like, you know, you cannot grasp it, it's not tangible, you cannot prove it. That's why I gave the example of imagination. Imagination is, is, is prior to everything, and we don't discuss this. And, and there is a very big truth that lies in, in this con conception. And we should, uh, we should think about this more often and, and more deeply. I also think yeah. that what's, what's happening right now with this, uh, I mean, I have my own perspective of this, like it's the dawn of transhumanism. <laughs> Everything that's going on right now, it's boiling the frog to in the end have something and chip in your body that they can track and measure data. So they have it more centralized. So they have more predictive power on what they can do. They can steer the perception or can steer the control. And when I see their answer, their answer is more technology. <laughs> That's it. More increasing technology. But all the other aspects, it's like, no, they don't tackle. I mean, great reset. Where, where is the great reset of asking fundamental questions about fulfillment, about satisfaction, about the deeper meaning in life? No, 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 no. You know, it's all it's all technocrats in a technical way. It has to be solved. Well, if we were going to do a great reset or rebirth, let's say, let's look at everything. Let's look at where society is heading. Let's integrate it in a way how we can be one more whole as humans, not humans approaching more to become an app, customizable, right? That's what I see. People are being yeah. treated as apps. Just customize it, you know, et cetera, upgrade it, et cetera. But we're humans. We're not apps. And I don't want to become an app, even if I can customize myself. If it's a Faustian deal that I have to give up certain human values and things that makes me feel worthwhile, I don't want to have that Faustian deal, even if I can live longer or safer. Like, no, nah, that, that, that is not a trade I'm willing to make. Yeah, true. And I would add to that that... Um... It's my fear, and I hope uh, I'm wrong, but it's, um, it, it tends to go in that direction, that we're uh, going in the direction of a psychiatric society. Yeah? And when you see the amount of people that take medication, and also the population is, is getting younger and younger, and I'm talking about eight, nine-year-olds that, that are already taking uh, pills every day because they cannot manage their own energy or their own uh, mental functioning, their own reasoning, and uh, their own emotions. So, the, the age is just getting more and more uh, younger and younger. And that's really a threat for society. Yeah, and Paul Verhaag also talked about this. You can ask the question, are people not able to cope with society or is it just society? So, you know, it's what Krishna Murti, like it's not a sign of a, a, a healthy individual to be well adapted to a sick, profoundly sick society. So all these social disorders, ADD, et cetera, this epidemic, is it really just the, the children or is it just an effect of how society is evolving? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, and that's not re really promising. I mean, uh, that's really dangerous. And that's why my fire is always uh, quite big when I read or see uh, or hear the, these uh, kind of uh, evolutions because uh, we have to really uh, say stop because uh, we're uh, really uh, weakening uh, our collective and uh, we're doing it right away. We're doing it right on this time. So uh, also with the vaccination uh, schedule and, and program. And, uh, you mean the, the experimental gene therapy? Hmm? You mean the experimental gene therapy? Well, the fact that... I'm going to call it like it is, you know, like vaccines. If you just take it and your body has a response with antibodies, okay, we're talking old school vaccines, but this is another system that I think is very dangerous to have. I don't know how to talk about it. Like, where's the control group? <laughs> where's the control group? Yeah, some, some funny remarks on that. I'm, uh, part, of, I'm, I'm uh, part of the control group or something. 
I'm not participating in this. But I think this is strange. So people ask me, like, I send them all the data about why I'm hesitant toward the vaccines, and they never looked at it. They're not even, I mean, they're constantly, like, exposed to the mainstream narrative, let's say. And I have, like, oh, I just limited to check this video, 45. That's just all I ask, like, an hour. And then people are looking at me, have <laughs> you taken the between brackets vaccine? And then I'm like, just, so you're asking me why I have to take something with a mortality of 0.15% while I have an immune system, but when it's something that has been developed in nine months, while on average it takes 10 to 15 years to develop it, and I don't know the long-term consequences, it's completely experimental therapy. You're asking me why I'm hesitant. You're asking me why I see sometimes dangers of bypassing the, the immune system by messenger RNA and that it could potentially, not saying it is, potentially create autoimmune diseases, you know, or you bypass your natural body response. And I first wanna see what the effects, I'm not excluding I would ever take it, but I think when you look at everything, the mortality rate, my immune system, the new technology, the time in which it is developed, you should think like cautionary principle, like let's just roll it out and then see, get more data. Yeah. But do people not question that? I think it's crazy that people... The problem is that you have to compare it like this. Uh, you're talking uh, a different language. It's like you're talking in Chinese and, and they're listening uh, with no knowledge of Chinese and they're uh, just speaking French or, or German. So, And that's why people don't understand one another anymore because you're totally speaking another language. Why? Because the seat of your... Uh, story is uh, rooted in a, a different uh, consciousness when you when your consciousness is oriented to safety namely you know i need to i need to repeat the old i want my old life back i want to do everything to uh, get my old life back so i want to feel safe and i don't i want to avoid everything that is a bit too dark or a bit too giving me too much fear or something and then you 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 have the consciousness oriented or focused towards freedom and, and independency and growth then you speak a different language and that's why people don't uh, understand one another they don't uh, hear what you're saying because they're you know you have your agenda they have their agenda but to sacrifice the, the, the integrity and wisdom of your body to have your cocktail on a bar that is, I mean, I get what you're saying. That's like conspiracy. This, this doesn't align with what I've been repeatedly told, you know, to the to the yeah. mainstream channels. But to dismiss your natural, for most people, their immune system can perfectly handle it. And nine months to develop it, it is a short period. I'm not ex completely excluding it, but it is a fact that it's much faster than it normally is. And we don't know the long-term effects or when there's like new variants, how they will deal with it. Maybe they will deal with it worse because, you know, they bypass the immune system. I don't know. A lot of questions there. But to people, you just sacrifice. That's, it's their health. It's their body. But that's not. That's nothing new, Philip. You're assuming that they worry, or that they worried about their immune system, that they worried about the quality of their lives, that they worried about the freedom in their lives. Again, people were running other people's agendas. People were not were not living a very healthy life. Sixty percent of the Belgians are fat. Not the, the Belgians are sixty percent obese. So, and that's one of the, the risk factors in, in the, the occurrence of uh, COVID uh, symptoms and that. So you are assuming that people are thinking about their health mentally, emotionally, physically. But the fact that the, the question is, are they really concerned about it? Or do they just want to continuously lead the life that they were uh, living and leading? 
And, you know, and that's why there are so many discussions because the assumptions uh, are there. The assumption uh, that, you know, why don't you think about your immune system? You're uh, doing harm to yourself, but do they hear that? Do they understand your language and vice versa? So that's a very big problem that I'm uh, experiencing also uh, when clients come or talk to me or I get so many messages. Uh, people are in the midst of conflicts in their family, in their, you know, and in, in their jobs. And it's always about the same thing. They don't hear one another. And there's constant tension between the, the different programs they're running. And this, this is also something I see. And for me, it's, it's, it's difficult also because it's not just about this one thing. It stands that they take is fundamentally a reflection of their values and priorities. And when you are with someone, even a partner, and you have completely different views about it, or you have a child, that creates a lot of conflict because it goes deeper than just that one choice. It's a difference in values and priorities. So yeah, you can communicate it and be okay with it, but it, it hits you in your fundamental values. So it's, it's, it's visceral. It triggers you a bit because it's so. It goes very deep. It goes yeah. Very deep. yeah. It goes very deep. And uh, it's good that you mentioned this example because this is really very ac acute now. And this topic of what to do with our kids and children and uh, what in the situation that, uh, you know, person A or partner A and first partner B has totally different visions on how to proceed on this and what are we going to do with our with our little Philip or our little Steve uh, and are we going to uh, you know, uh, give uh, him or her you know, the, the, uh, the mouth mask or are we going to inject this kid what are we going to do so that's uh, you know it's, it's, it's easier when both say yes or no but there are of course a lot of situations where there is conflict uh, of uh, values like you say and, and interests and, but these are really acute situations and how to deal with that in the end, I think it's. I'm going to say that on the first. First of all, I think it's. Uh, I think if even if you would consider vaccination uh, you know, with your child, I, I think most of the children will survive that. This is not the problem. The problem is that it's. You have to ask yourself the question: Why do Why do we have to uh, choose? Why Why is is this uh, imposed on us? Why do we have to make such a big deal out of it. Yeah, you, you create, you're creating a societal model. That's the thing. Yeah, you're not making not a temporary a decision. You're creating it's a societal not. model, what, what the future will look like. And especially for these young children who are, you know, like bred in this matrix, let's say, they're raised in it. They don't know any different because that was the normal how they were like grown up. Yeah. But once, once um, you're imposed to make a decision about something that is your responsibility, your your body is your responsibility. It's not up to the government to decide about your health. They're there to protect your rights, not to protect your health. This is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. Don't give it away. And, and that's what we're doing. We're giving away the responsibility of our own health. And this, this vaccination pass or health pass, you know, it's ridiculous to think that this is going to be... The, the problem is that people don't see what kind of societal model they are creating. I'm going to tell you what they're going to create because I already know this and you can check back with me what's going to happen. That vaccination passport, you see it as a vaccination passport. 
you have to see it as a centralization of data that can be sent and tracks all your behavior, kind of social credit system, China, right? Like it will see how much you travel, how polluting you are, how much meat you eat, what you say, how good your record is. More and more data will be on that passport. Now it's in your wallet. In the future, it can be in your body. Biometric data, visceral responses, and it will constantly be connected to the cloud, to the system, to something centralized. And that thing will track and measure everything and limit what you can do because it will decide for you how much you can fly, how much meat you can eat, what you can say when you are censored, when you can't exit your home. You will have no say anymore. So people look at just, it's just a vaccination passport like an idea. No, it's a symbol of something that will accrue data in the future, which with centralized control, you will have less and less power to escape and you won't have any choice anymore what to do with certain aspects of your life. Yeah, that's true. And it's already happening uh, since so many years in China and it's all already like uh, happening in some parts of Europe. I've uh, read an article uh, about the um, uh, situation in Austria. Apparently there, there are some steps be, you know, an uh, advance. Uh, so it's true what you're saying, but there is also uh, the following that it's also true that people, there are a lot of people that really don't care about this evolution uh, and and i am really uh, kind of uh, sympathetic <laughs> to them now because I, I think the reality is even um, worse namely some people really uh, look forward to this kind of uh, um, society and it becomes a kind of a fetish a kind of a false identity you know and that brings us back to the core of all fears namely the fear of death because why are we afraid of death because th this is the biggest mirror that that it that it gives us that uh, says how are you dealing with your life are you leading the life you want are you dealing with the, your your talents are you are you conquering your fears do you really live the mission uh, you're meant to be to live and so we're afraid to of death because we're afraid of life and we're afraid of life and we, when we're in big denial and that's why we want to follow we want to follow because we're afraid of that but we are mostly afraid of the confrontation with the fact that we are not living the life we should live we're not afraid from death we're afraid, afraid from life I had a, a reflection yesterday for this call that 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 happened in my in my in my mind that it's kind of like a reverse Garden of Eden. Look at the symbol of like medicine, you know, in the WHO. It's a snake. So this is a reverse Garden of Eden. You can stay in the Garden of Eden of like Satan or the snake, let's say, but you have no free will and you have no morals. And then you can stay inside. And the reverse of what Milton said, because the devil said, Lucifer said, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. These people say it's better to serve in hell than to reign in heaven. So this is the exact thing. The people outside of the Garden of Eden, they, you know, have, I mean, not Garden of Eden, Garden of Hell, let's say. They have free will. They have their own morals, their own personal responsibility, but they worship the snake who says, no, 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 no more free will. We will decide what's right, what's good and wrong, and just stay here because you're stay safe here. That was maybe a bit in a symbolic way that I see like what's going on. Also with transhumanism, they have to program machine. They have to program ethics into machines. What is right? What is wrong? On YouTube, they check your speech. If you see anything wrong that the algorithm decides is non-ethical, you are removed from it. You know, or your opinion is not valid. So I see more and more freedom, self ownership, and people deciding what they want to do, speak how they want to hang out, taking over yeah. for them. 
Yeah, it's comfortable. It's and it's sold as a Garden of Eden. It's all like, oh, it's so safe because you live longer and we can help people who are paralyzed with the chip. You know, they focus on the health. You know, they sell the good things, but they, they're not focusing on the control and limitations that could also happen because I'm not against this technology, but it's being sold like the it's the end solution and it's the, the heaven, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I'm also not against the... Uh, everything that is there and I'm not against medication I'm not against technology I'm not against uh, all the knowledge that there is but what I question is uh, how do we use it and are we going to keep uh, ourselves being controlled you know we have to really see it like that, that we're in, in, in we're not free because we let others control our life and even when we say okay this is not a good example for your kids for youngsters for the future of our society uh, we should wake up. And that's why there is so much fire. And I see it in your eyes. I see it in a lot of people, people's eyes. And, uh, of course, then there is a lot of uh, uh, battling around. But, you know, it's, it's about not only about us. It's about uh, life. And it's about our children. And it's about our future. And it's about the fact that we're, uh, yeah, we're confronted with cruelty, so to speak. We're confronted with cruelty. But yeah. I'm kind of uh, cautious with the words I'm choosing because you know how it works when you choose words. Uh, you're not less, you're, you're not that cautious in in your uh, uh, speech, but you know how it works because uh, people that are not really believing or are open to this kind of a language, they put you so fastly yeah, yeah. in a box, yeah, yeah. and you can. There is no dialogue anymore. It's as if you know. Um, that's why. Somebody asked me, okay, if you say people are ignorant, what's the alternative? I say, well, basic curiosity, basic curiosity. We have lost two things, curiosity and healthy suspicion. Curiosity and healthy suspicion. Why all of a sudden people, when, you, when you're healthy suspicion, all of a sudden you're uh, uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. No, I'm just yeah. healthy suspicious. And people stop. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, with being uh, curious and curious and unhealthy, suspicious. I always say it's a true detective. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a true detective. And some people are co coincidence theorists. They think everything is a coincidence. Like, you know, it all happens at the same time and it's all by accident. But when you're going to take a look at the narratives that rule your life, whether you believe in certain theories or not, you will see you have a lot of borrowed knowledge that you think like, this is my opinion, but it's just the opinion that you've been told. You're only exposed to it. Doesn't mean you have to accept the other opinion. Absolutely not. But you're just not exposed to it. So when you delve into, for instance, this is also a very uh, taboo topic to talk about. When you're going to look at the other side of World War II and, you know, what happened after the Treaty of Versailles and that Eastern Prussia was separated from Germany, you know, also Hungary, 72% of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire was lost after World War I. And you also see the Eisenhower death camps after the end of World War II, where a lot of Germans died. I'm not choosing the German side. I'm just looking at the other side, like what was their motivation? What happened there? Or you looked at the Gulag Archipelago, like in Stalin, what happened there? You know, because they always attack fascists, etc. I'm looking at extreme left regimes that also were bad. The rape of Nanking, about the Japanese, like invading China. So I'm not choosing a side, but then you see like, oh, I've only been told like one perspective, but when you can see both sides and then make up your mind, you can have a much more grounded perspective. And that is going down the rabbit hole, I think, to see different perspectives and be open to it. But most people, they see the rabbit hole like, oh, 
let's go away. And then you're like the crazy person, etc. Well, I'm just inviting you to have a look. And if you still think it's crazy, that's fine. But there, there's a lot more nuances and mutual responsibility in the world and the whole black and white polarized perspectives we have right now. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's important to stay curious. And, you know, if, if people would ask themselves, what if they would tell me two years ago that we would be in this kind of a situation? Would you step into this situation? Would you wear masks constantly? Would you let yourself be imposed to... But I see people like, you have to wear better... If they say now in Hungary, you don't have to wear a mask today, 90% doesn't wear a mask. And yesterday they were wearing a mask. So it's just like doing as you've been told and not question it. And I would question, huh? Yesterday it was still like useful and now it isn't useful and just like questioning, uh -huh, this doesn't make any sense. Nope, let's just do it. These so. are adults, sorry to say, but these are adults. I have less compassion with adults than with children. Uh, and I also hear daily stories about uh, teachers uh, who are crying. They, yeah. they, they talk to me, they, they write me stories, they say, I'm crying, really. I ask, uh, they, they go for a ride uh, with their bicycles and, and she asks, really, put off your mouth masks and, and they don't do it. They don't do it. And she, she's like constantly crying because they, want, they had to um, take a class picture and she asked them uh, to uh, yeah, let your mouth pass, uh, yeah, take it off. And they didn't. She sent me the picture. It was, there was only one girl, only one girl who didn't wear a mouth mask. All the others were wearing mouth masks. And uh, she even asked them. So, you know, this is really more... Uh, frightening than, than the fact that adults are not learning because I say that with, with respect, of course, but it's uh, important that we see that the, the, the brains of children, you know, uh, we need to be very careful. And This is what I'm so worried about right. because I wanted to talk to you with the, the uh, history of a psychologist and make a psych assess. I think there will be psychopaths being raised now. Lack of social connection, distancing, the whole maturation process of adolescents and children. I mean, what are most people angry at the world about? Not being respected, having no connection, you know, not feeling connected to others. And that's been happening to these children for a year and a half, having to wear a mask symbolically, having to not be accepted for who, who you are, how you look. I have no idea how many psychological disorders there will be, but I think it's vastly underestimated how much developmental problems these children, babies, and adolescents will have. What, what's yeah, your opinion I, about it? My opinion? Well, I'll tell you a story. We have two daughters. Sophia is almost seven. She's six, and she's really, she's really a positive a young girl. She has a lot of fire, a lot of enthusiasm, creativity. She's really confident. And two weeks ago, I was not with them, uh, but, but my wife told us that she was uh, in front of a, a shop, and um, all of a sudden, she... She lost something. She lost a little bag of hers, and it wasn't in, in, you know, in, in in the beginning of the, you know, at the front, the entrance of the shop, and she was having a, a crisis. She was having a, you know, a hysterical crisis. And Anna, my wife, she said, "What is happening?" And uh, she didn't want to enter. She didn't want to enter. And then they told me the story later on, and I I felt it, and I uh, asked what, what was wrong because normally you don't, you're not afraid, and and she was afraid, and uh, she was saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then she said, well, these people, I don't know if they like me or not. And I said, well, how do you know? I, I, don't, I don't see them laughing or not. And that's really, really, I always get goosebumps when I think about it because this is really, she's so honest, she's so authentic, she's so real. And this is what is happening, you know? Mirror neurons, this, uh, the study of signs of mirror neurons have taught us that children mostly, but 
You know, everybody needs to see uh, as much uh, expression on our, on our faces as possible for our own emotional development. Why is that important? Because emotional regulation is super important for our overall health. If we don't take care of our emotions, we will get ill, period. And this is already, you know, uh, happening uh, you know, from, from the age of, of, uh, of zero, so to speak. And we don't, uh, yeah, through these masks, they're not able to see the, the diversity of emotional expressions. So that, then they can also not copycat it. They cannot imitate it. And when you cannot copy it or imitate it, then you will search for other solutions to deal with your own emotions. And we're already living in... You know what? I I think it impacts the emotional regulation. When you read Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, they take Soma. Why? They want to have these flat-lined emotions. So when these children then have these triggered emotions, here, just take a pill, you know, sedate yourself, numb yourself. That is also something that I see even more sedation in the future and numbing out. Yeah. So the so what is going to happen? Of course, when you suppress it, this is the, the law of communication. Communication theory is that when you suppress one bucket, it will you know explode on the, on the other side, and that's also what's going to happen when when we suppress our emotions or we let our emotions be suppressed. Then we will cultivate more uh, symptoms, more syndromes, and the big pharma is you know. Is saying thank you. We will create some more pills for you, and, and every time on a, on a much younger level. And this is really what I'm talking about earlier was the, the psychiatric evolution, and, and this is going to uh, expand. And this is really not okay. This is really not okay. Well, that's what I see. 1984. I think it's the best uh, nonfiction book of the 20th century. You will have the thought police, the speak police, and the feelings police. And they will police what you can say and what you can feel and what you can think. And when it's not aligned, okay, yeah, then it's like, okay, you know, kind of like minority report where they can arrest people just by thinking something, you know, or having a certain thought. So that's the danger that I see of just, I see it already happening now. They have it in UK that they're thinking about lawful but harmful content. It's not about hate speech. They keep on pushing it further. It's not just hate speech, which is of course a very wide things. Like, you know, you can't defend anyone. Like it's not the intention that counts, but you know, the victim decides it. But they're already thinking about lawful but harmful content, aka information that doesn't align with what they think is the only interpretation that you could have. Social media companies or other companies who have these content online, they can be fined. For doing that. So those ideological, intellectual echo chambers become smaller and smaller, what people are allowed to say, to think, to feel. So this is the disutopian society that I see. And it's happening in when you look at China, how many cameras are there and, you know, <laughs> videos from a year and a half ago, you can take a picture of your face, they rate your attractiveness, you know, they scan people, heat waves, how long do they stay? To, they measure everything. They measure everything uh, in people, their lives. And the strange thing there is that people there have this B mentality. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is what it is. And they just yeah. accept it. Yeah, they accept it. Uh, and so they deny it. And uh, denial, you know, uh, ignorance is a bliss, but it's also a weapon. Eh? So, And that's what we're dealing with. Eh? So uh, we're dealing with a lot of ignorance and denial, and that will ha have a price. It will, have, will cost a price. And maybe not now, but definitely within the coming years or uh, the future. And we're concerned about that because we're uh, in attunement with life. And then you're awakened, and you're also more curious and also more healthy, suspicious.
But when you're the, in denial of your own innate uh, healthy suspicious, then you will end up being very paranoid because you will, you will experience more and more the, the torture because this is really torture in the end. And I'm concerned not only about, I'm really not concerned about myself because I, I've uh, come to a level that for me, it's about uh, others and it's about uh, daughters. And uh, I have, uh, you know, I have led a couple of lives in this life already. So for me, it's all about, you know, sharing what I see, sharing what I feel, sharing what my concerns are and, and co-creating a better world together with like-minded people. And we're heading towards a parallel society. Hopefully uh, we will be able to create that. And that, uh, because I, I'm not a pessimistic person, but it's, yeah. Uh, it seems this is what I'm curious about for you because there's more and more pressure on people to have, you know, the between brackets vaccination you know, more and more pressure. Probably you will have a story in the future like, yeah, we can go back to normal, but these people who refuse, more and more pressure on them who choose not for themselves, but for humanity or an alternative way to look at humanity. How do you see it like evolving? There will be more and more pressure on this small group. This group is getting smaller and smaller because more and more people are taking it, you know, and condoning the way society is heading. So how do you look and feel right now with everything that's evolving? That's a very good question. There's a lot of things, a lot of uh, information we still don't have. It's speculation and speculation and speculation and feeling and using all the knowledge that there is and trying to kind of uh, make a puzzle. But in the end, I believe it's all, <laughs> this sounds very, very positive and romantic. I think truth will always win in the end. The truth, I, I, I always say that um, Lies have an uh, expiration date, but truth doesn't. So the truth will always uh, win. Maybe not this year, maybe not within five years or ten years or within hundred years, but it will, all, it, will all, it will always win. Why? Because we are uh, driven by uh, a force which is called the self-actualization tendency or the individuation tendency or the self-organizing tendency. And it's all about you know, revealing the truth that we are. So I think in the end, truth will win. But come to that level, I think the coming, the current year and the coming 2021, 2022, mm. I think will be very important to see what is coming towards us. Also, these trials uh, that are, uh, you know, uh, will start up um, the Nuremberg trials. So I'm really looking forward to what will uh, come from that kind of uh, direction. So I'm still positive in a way that, you know, it will all end up uh, well, but I think we have to go through a lot of suffering. And there will, in my opinion, be uh, splitting, further splitting between, let's say, mm -hmm. the more conscious ones and the more trapped ones. And this splitting is, yeah. uh, is also somewhere needed because the conscious uh, group also needs to take care of its own uh, energy, its own emotion, yeah. and they need to, to uh, kind of group because their force will be very important when we will evolve from a psychiatric to a therapeutic society. That's, in my opinion, what's going to happen. Uh, the psychiatric society will increase in number, in, in quality and quantity, but in the end, you know, they will... Uh, come to a point that they will scream for help. And then it's important that, the, let's say, the conscious ones uh, have uh, nurtured their, themselves and nurtured one another and, and, and 
you know what I see happening there? A bit like the fairy tale, the grasshopper and the ant. You know the, the, the fairy tale of the grasshopper with the ant? You know, uh, the ant is like preparing for a deep winter, you know, and preparing everything and looking long term. And the grasshopper is partying, whatever, comfort. Let me have my cocktail in Croatia. And then suddenly when all the shit hits the fan, then they come knocking at the end like, oh, can I just have your resources because I didn't think long term. So then it will be an interesting conversation to have when the awake people have been blamed so much, shamed so much, you know, dragged to the mud to then still have that openness, like, you know, forgive them father. They know not what they have done, even though we have a lot of still information there. Yeah. There'll be a lot of tension there a bit, like how people deal with it. I'm going to be honest with you about this, you know, when, when you've been attacked so much, think long term, see the bigger picture, and then people sacrifice it for that grasshopper's short-term comfort. And then when shit is a fan, they come to the community. Can I come to the community? Yeah. That will be a deeper discussion then, I think. That's uh, really, that's one of the challenges we're going to face. Uh, and, and that's uh, also for ourselves, uh, yeah, a huge uh, um, challenge. And uh, how to keep the balance between uh, taking care of them, even though they're you know, getting more and more lost and also taking care of our own families, our own selves, uh, unite with uh, like-minded people. And where, where are we going to unite? And how? And uh, how are we going to stay independent? Uh, you know, how much uh, space are we going to get? So, this is a bit speculation, but I've, I've, yeah, I feel that we're going to split more and more. But this splitting up is also the segregation. Splitting up is also needed because you know we are important for them in the future, and we have to stay calm in between. In between, because. Uh, it's not always easy yeah, to say. It's so funny. Like I'm standing there in front of the window, almost like I am the unclean one and I don't have the yellow star. And it's like, look at that person outside the dirty one. And I'm thinking like, no, no, I'm the, I'm the clean one. I'm the natural one. You know, and these, these two stories, these two paradigms just like clashing, you know? Yeah. But I think when we live from the heart and with the heart, uh, when people are, you know, saying I've had it here in this psychiatric society, I want to go to the other side. I think uh, if I may speak for all, all the, these uh, like-minded, uh, conscious, uh, high-conscious people, they will probably all do the same, namely come in, come in. But now it's a very uh, difficult phase that we're in because uh, uh, there's still a lot of um, unknown information and, uh, you know, and that's why it's a very important year, but we're not there yet. Huh? Uh, Tell us a bit more about the book you're writing. Well, it's a project of 30 years. I finally uh, decided last year to, yeah, to get some help because I, uh, I really want to uh, produce something uh, specifically. And uh, so the book is about, it's a narrative fiction story. So it's a narrative nonfiction story. So I use like um, the upper part of the book is a story, uh, an elephant story. And the, the lower part is about the journey of the hero and how to unchain ourselves from chains, of course, chains referring to the past, chains referring to our limited views on ourselves, on our health, and also the chains referring to uh, our, our general idea of the world and uh, our evolution. So I try to uh, work as, with specific pillars and I'm, uh, yeah. Almost uh, halfway there. From from change to change. If people want to find out more about uh, what you do, where can they check out more of your stuff? Well, they can find me through my on, on my website, uh, stefanerie.eu. 
I also have a Facebook page and, and I almost write every day some uh, articles and, and you find also the coordinates to uh, my website so you can always contact me through the website. And, uh, Last question, you have all these stuff on your wall with different like principles that are important. Which one of these is the most important for you right now? You have these family rules, be happy, always tell the truth. Ah, okay. Which one of these, yeah, is for you the most important right help now? Help others. Help others. Help others. It's the core. It's in the middle. You can see it. It's in the middle. It's, uh, you know, I have three principles I would like to just share. The first is always focus on the breath. Mm -hmm. Because focusing on the breath keeps you in the here and now. And it keeps you grounded. Secondly is that you have to talk to your own lizard more and thirdly it's uh, about invite your heart in whatever you do invite your heart don't just follow your heart you have a brain but invite your heart more so and in the end it's about helping others the only way to really liberate yourself from depression fear anxieties name it uh, unhealthy patterns is to help others when you help others you uh, will end up being very happy and healthy well, thanks for sharing some light and helping others through this podcast. Wish you all the best and looking forward to you finishing the book. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast, yeah, Steve. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.